911, what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton. And in today's episode, I wanted to bring in another Facebook Live that we did in our Police, Fire, Military, and Families Facebook group. And the man that we had the honor of being able to interview is truly fighting for his life. And the way that he inspires other people through his journey is something that I wanted to bring here for you today. I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, police, fire, military, and families. It is Tuesday morning. It's again freezing cold. I know I said that last week, the last time that we did a live, but I'm just not used to it in California with it being this cold. And for those of you that are listening on the podcast, in front of me, I'm sitting next to this very nice gentleman. We had some technical problems this morning. I was a little bummed out because I couldn't see his face, but he started pressing a million buttons and boom, his face popped up. And we were joking about how we can leave it up to a man to start pressing all the buttons. And then finally it just works, but so be it. And the man that I'm talking about is actually a former NCAA division one college basketball player, also a SWAT hostage negotiator, a motivational speaker and a creator of motivational check. And his name is Mr. Terry Tucker. Terry, how are you? I'm good, Ashley. Thanks for having me on. Good, too. Uh, we got here. Good morning, 40 in Orlando. See what's going on <laughs> with these two coasts. It's just freezing. So, Terry, you agreed to come on to our show, and you have such an inspiring story. And I'm just wondering if you can give us a little bit about your backstory. Uh, sure. Um, we were commenting off air a little while ago. So I'm the oldest of three boys, and athletics, specifically basketball, has always been an important part of my life. And I was able to attend um, college on a basketball scholarship at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, despite having three knee surgeries uh, in high school. When I graduated from college, uh, I moved home to find a job. I was actually the first person in my family to graduate from college. So I thought I knew everything there was to know about business. And I had my newly obtained business administration degree. So I was going to set the world on fire. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job, which was actually, I was a marketing trainee in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. And, but unfortunately, actually, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother and my brothers care for my grandmother and my father, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Um, my wife and I have been married for 26 years, and our daughter graduated from the United States Air Force Academy in May and is a lieutenant in, as she always tells me, the world's greatest Air Force. So um, I've had several jobs over my career. Uh, we talked about a little bit about law enforcement. I started out as a reserve police officer with the city of Santa Barbara. And when my wife met me, I was in hospital administration. So I was a suit and tie kind of guy, you know, Monday through Friday, eight to five. And, you know, to kind of drop on her, you know, hey, hon, I think I'd might like to be a police officer. And, you know, I want to work nights and weekends and holidays and miss birthdays and all that kind of stuff. And she was incredibly supportive. So I kind of dipped my toe in the water in Santa Barbara. And then when our daughter was born and we moved to Cincinnati, I became a, a full-time police officer in Cincinnati and worked in patrol. I spent about three and a half years as an undercover narcotics investigator. I was on the SWAT team as a hostage negotiator. And 
I, I'll tell you, it was it was the best job other than being a husband and a father that I've ever had in my life. And, and I wish I was still doing it. But, um, you know, it was one of those things. My dad was just opposed to me being a cop. His dad was a, a Chicago police officer back actually from 1924 to 1954. So he was in the whole prohibition and, you know, the Al Capone, the gangster days. So he was shot in the line of duty. He was shot in the ankle. So it wasn't life threatening. But my dad always remembered that knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, could you grab your son? You need to come with us kind of thing. So he was opposed to it. So I did what every good son did. I waited until he passed away and then I started to pursue my dream. So <laughs> that's background. I'm super curious, Terry, what was that moment of like, you're working in a hospital and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I have to do this. You, you know, I, I think you, you have to follow your passion in life. You, you have to live the life that, that you were born to live. And, you know, I knew my dad didn't want me to do it. My dad was a very strong individual. You know, I talk about my brothers, you know, I, I'm six foot eight. I have a brother that's six, seven. I have a brother that's six, six. And my dad was six, five. So, you know, you definitely didn't want to be behind us in church because you weren't going to see anything. Um, but it was um, it was something I always knew I wanted to do. It was just kind of that little fire that's that, that burns inside of you. You know, for for people, it's different things. For me, it was always that. And, and I didn't really know my grandfather. You know, he he died when I was like six or seven. But my grandmother sort of kept his memory alive with all the stories that he used to tell. And, and she would relay those stories. And I just like, gosh, I want to do this. I, you know, I want to do this. And, you, you know, you, you, you kind of resist. I, I, I wanted to go into the Secret Service for a while. And I'll never forget this. My dad knew the agent in charge when we lived in Ohio. He sent me down to the federal building on a hot, steamy July day. And I'm there in a three-piece suit. And I'm interviewing with this guy. And I am just perspiring. Like, I mean, I'm sweating through the suit. And the guy is taking notes and he's in his little short sleeve shirt and things like that. And I'm like, and my dad had it all set. I wasn't going to make it because you know, my dad had already set it up that this wasn't going to happen. But he wanted me to go through the motions just so I could say, well, I tried, but it didn't work out. And I just I just always knew, you know, and, and I followed that passion. And unfortunately, you know, my wife lost her job when we were in Cincinnati. She is the primary breadwinner. And so. At that point in time, you know, we needed to move. And, you know, I love being a cop, but it wasn't who I was. It was what I did for a living. And it was certainly a passion, but my family always came first. And so it was, you know what, we need to move. If I need to find another career, I will. And I did. We moved to Houston and I ended up starting a school security consulting business, um, kind of in the same genre, but a little bit different. And, you know, rest is kind of history. Yeah. Is anyone else having any audio issues? I know someone commented that it might be on their end and they can't hear us, but we'll keep rolling with it, Terry, because I know it's recording and live on our end. Sure. Um, six foot eight. I don't think I know anybody in person who's that tall. That's pretty impressive. Well, I always tell people, you know, they ask me how tall I am and, and I'm like, do you want the smart aleck answer? Or do you want the real answer? And the smart aleck answer is I'm 520. So, you know, we, we kind of play that a little bit. So just makes people feel better. That's funny. Yeah. So it looks like everything's good with our audio. Terry, what was the moment for you that took you out of law enforcement? Um, 
that one, as I said, was my wife lost her job in Cincinnati. You know, I, I'd been a police officer in Cincinnati for about 10 years. And uh, actually, I had really just fairly recently been promoted to sergeant. And um, I, I, I liked being, you know, on the street. And, uh, you know, being a sergeant was a lot of paperwork and a lot of babysitting. And that wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. But it was, you know, it was like my wife came home. It's like, you know, they're letting me go. You need to find another job. And we she wasn't able to find one in Cincinnati. So she was able to find one in Houston. So it was, you're going to have to resign. And that that was horrible for me. I, I really didn't want to do it. But like I said, my family came first. And um, so it was, it was time to move on and, and to try something else. Got it. So take us through a little bit, because I, I know you have such an incredible backstory when it comes to your health. So with whatever you're most comfortable with, start wherever you'd like and take us through that journey. Sure. Um, so probably the biggest challenge I've ever had in my life. And, and, and I had three knee surgeries when I was in high school. And, you know, that was difficult enough. The second one involved the removal of 25 pieces of my bone that had chipped off because I'd had an infection and scar tissue didn't grow in the area where my cartilage was removed. And my doctors told me that I wouldn't, more than likely wouldn't play basketball again. But I, at that point in my life, that's the only success that I'd ever had was on the basketball court. I mean, I was a good student, but basketball was my passion. And when, you know, when your passion's taken away from you, at least for me, it was like, well, I'm going to fight for that. So I, I did, you know, and I was, after that second surgery, they don't do these things anymore. I was putting a cast from my hip to my ankle for the entire summer. And when that cast was cut off, I had this thigh muscle, this quadricep that had atrophied uh, terribly. And it was a matter of, you know, working myself back to where I could walk again and then jogging. You know, I was walking led to jogging, jogging led to running, and I was able to play again. But in 2012, I, I literally had the biggest challenge in my life when I was diagnosed with a rare form of melanoma that had presented on the bottom of my left foot. By the time the cancer was detected, it had metastasized to the lymph nodes in my groin. And because my cancer is so rare, there's only about 1,900 people in the U.S. that are diagnosed with it every year. It was recommended that I be treated at the probably the best cancer hospital in the world, which is MD Anderson. Now, I was lucky because we were living in Houston, which is where MD Anderson was located. And I was 10 minutes away from their front door. So I had two surgeries to remove the tumor and the lymph nodes in my groin and had a skin graft to close the wound where the tumor had been removed. After I healed, I was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon. Um, my oncologist said, you know, we wanna put you on this drug to try to kick the can down the road so that we have more options to, to treat this form of cancer. Interferon for me was a horrible, nasty, debilitating drug. Um, I took those weekly injections for four years and seven months before the medication actually became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees. Fortunately, I was at a level one trauma center and they had the experts there that were able to save my life because 108 degree fever usually isn't compatible with life. I remember my wife telling me the story that when I was in the ER, the nurse pulled her aside and she said, you better prepare yourself. I've only seen one other case of a fever this high and that person didn't live. Mm which is kind of an insensitive thing to say to, you know, the wife of somebody who's going through this. But, 
So the interferon actually it gave me flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. I lost 50 pounds during my therapy. I, I used to say I was so skinny that I could go hang gliding on a Dorito. Um, I was constantly nauseous, fatigued, and chilled. My ability to taste food even diminished. I couldn't tell anything other than something was sweet or salty. And my body just continually ached. And this misery went on for over 1,660 days. And the one thing I learned during all my pain and suffering, and, and believe me, I'm not sitting here telling you that, you know, I, I've had more suffering than anybody else. I haven't. There are many, many people out there, thousands of people that are suffering much more than I did. But the, two, the, the thing that I learned is that really you have two choices. You can either succumb to the debilitating discomfort and misery, or you can learn to embrace it and use it to make you a stronger and better human being. I happen to just, I, choose the, I chose the latter. Um, you know, just like my doctors had told me I wouldn't play basketball again, I decided, you know what, I have to at least try to overcome this. Um, I want your listeners to understand that, you know, there were days I felt so poorly and was in so much agony that I literally prayed to die. I, I just wanted out of this life that was, you know, just seemed to be horrible at that time. Each day was that struggle to kind of override the apathy and distress that my body was feeling. I realized that pain and discomfort can beat you to your knees and keep you there, but I also came to appreciate that I could use my pain and suffering to make me a stronger and more determined individual. Um, as I said, I was no better at dealing with pain and discomfort than the next person, but every day I found a way to survive with the knowledge that I need to do it again. And for me, unfortunately, my cancer experience hasn't ended with me conquering my disease. That melanoma that had plagued me for six years returned in 2017, and eventually my only treatment option was the amputation of most of my left foot, which occurred in January of 2018. Cancer returned again um, in 2019, requiring two additional operations, and then the last four months, one of my doctors uh, recently advised me that I probably have another 12 to 36 months left to live. But again, just like the situation with the knee surgery, I refused to be a victim to the malignancy and I vowed to continue my fight. And I knew the only way that cancer could win is if I gave up or gave in to the disease or it killed me. And I understand what it's like to fight for your life. And the one thing I have learned is that as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. Mm. I'm so honored that you were willing to share that with us. And we're here supporting you if there's any way that we can. Thank and you. One thing that stands out incredibly to me is this amount of spirit and and just willpower that you have. And it exemplifies the discipline that I'm sure was acquired over your career. I and mean, it was. I mean, I, I, if you want to be good at something, you have to be disciplined. You know, you can't take a, a casual approach, you know, to something that you have a passion for. And I think a lot of people do that. They take a casual approach to life. And as a result, their dreams and their goals really become a casualty to that unplanned living. So, I mean, I, I focused a lot of my young life playing basketball. And, you know, then I ended up going to the Citadel, which is a military college and, um, you know, a lot of discipline there. I mean, my parents raised us to, you know, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. And, um, you know, in law enforcement, same thing, you know, you go through the academies, you're 
you know, you're, you're stressed and, and, and they want to put that stress on you so that you can, you can perform in, out in the street and stuff like that. So yeah, discipline for me, I've always been a disciplined individual and that certainly has helped uh, with my cancer fight. Yeah. We have some comments here. Overcoming something is not easy. Your strength shows brother. Absolutely. Wow, Terry, please let us know in this group what we can do. So just know you do have a circle of support, and I'm sure you already know that. And I, I do. And, and, you know, and, and I think anything you do in life, you, you know, we, we were talking, you know, off the air about how my mother raised three boys and she was always running out to get milk. Well, that's that's support. You need that. You know, you need that in whatever you're doing. You, you don't go through this life alone. And. You know, I, I've been very fortunate to have a wife that has always been there for me. And, you know, the funny thing is, when we got married, she'd never seen the inside of an emergency room. You know, and believe me, she's seen plenty of the insides of emergency rooms and hospitals and all kinds of stuff now. And I, I mean, without her, I, I, I would definitely not be here right now. So and mm -hmm. same thing with my daughter. I mean, I remember uh, when I had my second surgery at MD Anderson, they removed all the lymph nodes in my groin. And I had 40 staples that kind of went from my mid thigh up through my groin and into my lower abdomen. And like I said, we were only a 10 minute ride from MD Anderson. So when they discharged me, they offered me a pain pill. I'm like, no, I, I, don't, I don't want one. I, I didn't like taking the oxys and the opioids. So I get home and I have to go up all these stairs to the bedroom, you know, to, to get in bed. And by the time I got to the, the last set of stairs, I was, I was in agony. I mean, it was just burning in my groin with those staples moving. And I was totally covered in sweat. And I'm like, I just got to sit out. And my daughter was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I, you know, six foot eight, 240 pounds. If you sit out, we're never going to get you up. So, you know, she pulled from the front and my wife pushed from the back and they got me there. And I, I, I always tell that story. And I ask people, you know, who's, who's pushing and pulling you? Who's there, you know, in your life to, to push and pull? And, and maybe even, you know, another way to look at it is who are you pushing and pulling? Who are you helping to get through life? So, yeah, I, I've, I've had a great support system and I'm very lucky. Yeah, that, that reminds me of um, your website, which, which I'd love to talk about, because on your website, anybody who wants to just pop on there, the first thing that you see is so much inspiration and words that can instantly uplift you without having to spend tons of time there. So can you talk to us a little bit about what motivational check is? Sure. I motivational check actually comes from my police days. When we were in the Academy, uh, we had an unbelievably great um, defensive tactics and, and physical fitness instructor. This, this guy was amazing. And um, we had, there was sort of a signal. So, you know, you're going through these things and it's tough and, and it's difficult. And anybody that was just having a bad day or needed some uplifting, they could just scream out motivational check. And the rest of us would just, our, our academy class number was 84. So we would just respond with 84, which meant, you know what, we're all here for you. So, you know, when I was, my technology level is pretty low. Um, and when I started, you know, trying to put together my site, I didn't know anything about this. You know, my, my daughter is the, is the expert in that. I mean, it took me like five months to put four pages together because I just happened to, you know, what does that mean? I'd have to go research it and come back and stuff like that. But I wanted to put something together th that was quick and easy where, you know, I have a, um, a thought for the day every day. I, I have a Monday morning motivational message. Um, I, I occasionally post videos and, and different um, things that are inspirational. 
but they're short. You know, I don't put a video on there that's any longer than like 10 or 15 minutes tops. I, I'm not going to put an hour video on there because I just don't think people have the time to do that. So everything I want on there, I want short, but I want it. To, I want you to be motivated. I want you to walk away thinking about whatever the saying was or the thought or the video for the rest of your day and, and realize that, yeah, maybe things are going difficult. You know, your, your, your kids are deployed. You know, you're, you're having a bad day. You know, your boss yelled at you, you know, before you went out on the street as a cop or, or whatever it is. You know what? That, that'll pass. That, that's that's going to go away. I mean, life's not fair. I, I can promise you that. I certainly have learned that. Uh, you know, I learned three things when I had cancer. It was bad things are going to happen to you. Setbacks are going to occur along your journey and life will not treat you fair. Whatever your goal is, you just got to keep your eye on that and you just got to keep moving forward, realizing that you're going to get knocked down from time to time. You can sit there and you can wallow in your pity and you can cry. And, and you know what? Yeah. And I have done that with my cancer journey. But you know what? Then it's time to get back up and time to move forward. You certainly are a motivational speaker because I feel like going to the gym, like sweating it out right now. So I think that's that's a pep talk that we can all use, especially this early in the morning. And before we wrap this up, I do have a challenge question for you, if that's OK. Sure. How has starting motivationalcheck.com helped you through your own journey? So let me, let me kind of tell you a little story. So I've always been a big fan of Westerns. You know, I grew up watching Gunsmoke and Maverick, and my favorite was Wild Wild West. So in 1993, and, and probably most of your listeners will, will remember this movie, the movie Tombstone came out. And it starred um, Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday and, and Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp. Now, Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp were real human beings that walked the face of this earth at one point in time. At the very end of the movie, um, there's a scene where Wyatt, who'd been a, you know, a, a town sheriff, a, a deputy U.S. marshal, he, he'd had a lot of different law enforcement jobs. But at this point in his life, he's destitute. He has, he has no money. He has no job. He has no prospects for a job. And Doc Holliday is actually in a sanitarium in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which actually Doc Holliday died in, a, in that sanitarium in Glenwood Springs. He's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery, and he's dying of tuberculosis. And since Wyatt doesn't have anything else going on, he comes to visit every day. And at the very end of the movie, they're talking about what they want. And Doc talks about, I, I, always, I, I, I was in love with my cousin when I was a kid. And she joined a convent over the affair. And she's all that I ever wanted. And he looks at Wyatt and he says, how about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and has one of the greatest lines, I think, that I've ever heard in a movie. He looks at him and he says, there's no normal, there's just life. And get on living, you know, get on with living yours. I look at motivational check and the, and the, the things that I've been able to do at, at this point in time where would I do I wish I didn't have cancer? I do, you know, but this is the hand that I've been dealt with and I can't I can't not play it. I have to play that. And motion of motivational check has helped me to get out there and and help other people along the way because this is my life and I can change it, but the only way that I can change it is if I get better. You know, if, if you want your professional life, your personal life, your family life, whatever it is to get better, then you need to get better. I believe we were all born to live an uncommon and extraordinary life. 
But in order to do that, you need to control your mind. You need to embrace the pain and suffering that you have in your life. You need to do things that scare you. I remember Stuart Scott, who was an ESPN reporter who died a few years ago of cancer. He said, don't downgrade your dreams to fit your reality. Upgrade your convictions to match your destiny. You know, think of the big picture in your life. What will your legacy be? We all know people that, you know, that really are dead. They just haven't fallen over yet. You know, you are the person that you're looking for. Who is that person? Let, let your life be shaped by the decisions that you made, not by the ones that you didn't or the ones that other people made for you. Common and ordinary people, they don't do anything in their lives. When you finish listening to this podcast, make the decision to begin living your uncommon and extraordinary life, no matter how much pain you must endure to get there. Because I promise you that you it'll be worth it, whatever the sacrifice is. Whatever you have to invest, whatever you need to do to reach your dreams, it'll absolutely be worth it. Beautiful, beautiful. And to wrap this up, I'd love to share my two biggest takeaways from this, if that's okay. Absolutely. And that was who are you pushing and pulling and who's pushing and pulling you? That was super powerful. And I think that's something that we can all reflect on as we go about our day today. And also, you are the person that you're looking for. Super powerful. And Terry, I just want to thank you for sharing time with us. If you're listening to this and you want to get a hold of Terry, if you go to motivationalcheck.com, you can find a link on there up at the top to contact him directly. Thank you so much for sharing time with us. And I look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, Ashley.